0: All right, and if you guys are not aware as well, uh, if you're enjoying this conference, you can view the full uh, conference from last year. Um, uh, as well, we have 14 wonderful talks from last year. You can check out, there's a whole playlist I broke them down into hour long talks, uh, or you can go back and watch the full eight 8 hour slog uh, or seven hour slog uh, that we did through there uh, from last year. So. Uh, you can check that out. Uh, they're either in uh, full day chunks or in hour long chunks, uh, as well as an audio format uh, on any podcast app. And these will all be back uploaded the same way in, in the one hour talks as well uh, in the future. And um, uh, it will be available in the full format at the end of the day. Uh, and then I will go ahead and, and edit that down as well, uh, just like last year. So don't worry if you miss something, it will be uploaded uh, later on. Well, uh, we'll get started. It looks like they're just getting their last of their PowerPoint stuff sorted with their sharing. Uh, So as soon as she gets that, that sorted here, we'll be ready to go.
1: There we go. that working okay
0: uh your, I mean it works but you has your notes and stuff on there it's not doing the present or full screen hmm.
1: let me see if I can fix that probably not um
0: if not it's okay I mean as long as you don't mind people seeing your notes
1: uh, generally, I prefer not to. Um, okay. But figure- uh, here, uh, let me. Are I you could- still
0: see? You have more than one monitor. Yeah. Yeah, you might be sharing the wrong monitor. Okay. So it. if I go. It looks like you're on the multiple view. Yeah. So
1: let's go settings. Let's see if that works. Any better? Yes. Just a a slideshow? Okay, perfect. Okie dokie. Well, hi everybody. My name is Danielle Maitland. Thanks for coming to learn about Aqualitus today. Um, I am the aquaponics development supervisor at Aqualitus Inc in Brooklyn, Nova Scotia. And I'm also a PhD candidate in agricultural sciences at Dalhousie University. Uh, I'm here today to talk to you about Aqualitus. I'm gonna go through a quick company overview who we are, how we grow. I'm gonna tell you a whole bunch about our fish, uh, mostly as an excuse to share some really adorable videos. And then I'm gonna talk about some of our R&D work, both in koi and then and cannabis. And then if I have some time, I'll plug our products and tell you where and how to contact us. So, okay, next slide. That's working. Okay. Uh, So Aqualetus is a licensed producer of medical and adult-use cannabis distributed across Canada. Our corporate head office is located in Bedford, Nova Scotia, and our production facility is located in the beautiful Brooklyn, Nova Scotia. Um, We took over the site of an old paper mill, which had excellent existing infrastructure for industrial production. We're right on the Atlantic Ocean, which... uh, makes it just a stunning place to work and I especially enjoy it in the fall because we get uh, I can look at the window of my office and see all the seals playing in the harbor. Uh, our head grower is Jake Ward and he was instrumental in designing and developing our aquaponics growing platform overseeing it from pilot scale all the way up to the commercial scale that we see now Uh, Last year, Jake was chosen as Canada's top cannabis grower by Grow Opportunity magazine, which was a really great recognition of the high quality and high potency product we make with the help of aquaponics. Uh, We're committed as a company to sustainability, not just in our aquaponic production methods, but also in our packaging. Uh, This winter we'll be launching a fully recyclable paper-based packaging system for our pre-rolls, our vapes, our oils, and our concentrates. And then last spring, we transitioned to using fully recyclable ocean-sourced plastic jars for our dried flower packaging. Um, and so far, our orders have been responsible for moving removing about 16,000 pounds of plastics from the ocean. And that number is just going to keep climbing, which is great. Uh, Aqualias was the first clean green certified producer in Canada based on our commitment to organic management practices, compliance, quality, and sustainability. Clean Green is a cannabis-focused certification based on existing national and international organic programs, and they're just wonderful to work with. Uh, I take uh, responsibility for keeping our certification up to date, and Chris at Clean Green is a great guy. Um, So that's a general company overview. I'm going to talk a little bit more about our systems and our growing methods, and then I'll get into some of our R&D. Uh, our growing system couples nutrient-rich aquaponic water from the koi fish in our recirculating aquaculture system with uh, living organic soil made right here in Nova Scotia. Our main fish system is a 60,000 liter ras. Uh, we have seven grow out tanks, water treatment and monitoring systems. We have the capacity to collect and digest our solid fish waste. In addition to the commercial system, we also have a self-contained mini ras for breeding and juvenile rearing, as well as two research scale systems. Uh, We also have laboratory facilities on site, which include nutrient and water quality testing equipment, uh, some cannabinoid testing equipment, and some microbiological and dissection equipment. We've developed research partnerships with Dalhousie and Acadia Universities uh, and received funding from federal and provincial grant uh, agencies to do our research and optimize our aquaponics platform. Uh, because we have an aquaculture license in the province of Nova Scotia, our fish receive excellent veterinary care and consultations as needed from the provincial aquaculture veterinarians. Shout out to Drs. Ashley, Amanda, and Anthony for being wonderful and incredibly helpful whenever we have any questions. Uh, we have approximately 1.5 tons of adult mature koi on site. Uh, our biggest fish are in the weight range of 7 to 9 kilos, which is the same weight as your average pug dog. Uh, In September, uh, we had our first successful breeding round, uh, producing about 2500 juveniles from our two parents, creamsicle and vision shown there on the bottom right. Uh, Koi are a very long living species, and now that we've been able to successfully breed our mature koi, we expect to maintain this population for an extended period of time without bringing in any outside stock. And because we intend to keep our fish for the foreseeable future, uh, we're free to become more attached to them, uh, than you'd see in a traditional aquaculture setting. I like to call them pets with jobs. Uh, if we can reliably identify a fish based on scale patterns, uh, colors, fin shape, behavior, uh, size, they will. I will generally name them or one of the uh, other people in the aquaculture department will name them. Uh, we have about 50 fish named at this point uh, and that number is just going to keep going up now that we have the, uh, the new babies and they're starting to develop their own unique looks and personalities. So I get asked this question every single time I do a presentation on aquaponics, so I figured I'd just put a slide in. Um, Why koi? So We chose koi for a large number of reasons. Uh, Steve already mentioned they're very tolerant of a wide range of water quality parameters. Uh, They're more okay with higher suspended solids or nutrient content than you'd see with something like a trout or salmon. Um, Koi are very happy in in a fairly wide temperature range, anywhere between 15 and 25. They'll start eating a little less as you get to the cooler side, but uh, that wide temperature range is really great for Canada, where our incoming water to the facility can be as low as 4 degrees in the winter and up to 25 in the summer. Um, so the fact that koi can survive in a wider range means we don't need to consume a ton of energy and have a really uh, large footprint when it comes to heating and cooling our water year round. Um, Koi are a little more forgiving in terms of oxygen content than you'd see from a cold water fish. Uh, That's really helpful in the event of any kind of system failure, pump failure, oxygenator failure. Uh, Behaviorally, koi are very chill, non-aggressive fish. We don't have any issues with infighting with the adults, uh, even at higher stocking densities. They keep their tanks immaculate. There is no waste. There's no algae. Uh, our fish scrape their wall, the walls of their tanks clean up to about an inch above the water level. Uh, so we don't have to spend any time cleaning tanks, which is nice and good for the fish because they don't get stressed out by us coming in with, uh, with brushes. Uh, koi have a very long lifespan, averaging 25 to 35 years. The longest one I've ever heard of was over 200 years old. Um, And that's great for us since we aren't interested in harvesting them for food or for sale. It means we can grow them up to a good size. And then we have a very predictable nutrient profile being generated from our fish system. Without the swings you might see in a system where you are regularly removing the fish for slaughter and processing. And Because cannabis is such a high value crop, it's uh, more important to keep the water, the nutrients uh, consistent to ensure that our quality of our product is consistent. Another great thing about koi is they won't breed spontaneously in the culture conditions of our commercial wrasse, which is something that can be an issue with tilapia. Uh, We've successfully started an in-house breeding program with a system contained outside of our commercial wrasse so we can meet our own very mild restocking needs and then some. Uh, And because of the long lifespan of koi and our newfound ability to breed them on site, uh, this has brought any biosecurity, biosecurity concerns way down. Uh, We won't need to bring in any new fish in the foreseeable future, which means that the risk of bringing in any disease vectors with new fish has also gone way down. makes my job a lot easier. Um, So I'm gonna talk a bit about our breeding program, uh, mostly as an excuse to show you some cute videos. Hopefully they work okay. Uh, And then I will get into some of our R&D. Uh, so we have been trying to breed our koi with different uh, pairs and combinations of fish and different environmental cues for about a year and a half uh, without the use of hormones. And at the point we got to these two here, we were pretty sure we were on the right track. The female on the left is Ghosty, and the male on the right is Bob. And we put Ghosty and Bob in the breeding tank on a Wednesday, got the environmental cues just right. And by Friday, they started to show a little bit of breeding behavior. Uh, Bob was chasing Ghosty around. He was nudging her belly a bit, both of which are very good signs. Uh, But come Monday, the positive signs had disappeared. There was no more chasing and they were off their feed. So we decided to keep them in the tank for another two weeks just to see if they'd come around. uh, And if they didn't, we were going to pick a new pair and start the cues all over again. Uh, so you can imagine my awe, surprise, and absolute panic uh, about 10 days after they'd been in there uh, when I look in the tank and I see an itty-bitty, teeny-tiny little baby fish floating above the bristles of our breeding brush. And just here he is. That's the day I found him. Um, and for context, uh, that's a 3 millimeter feed pellet in the, in the uh, bucket with them. Uh, so I freaked out. Uh, I took the parents out of the tank immediately, just in case there were any other babies in there. Uh, and after a thorough search, we determined there was no babies. This, this little one was the only, uh, only one we had left. And so the question is, what happened? And for those of you who don't know, as with many species of fish, koi are terrible parents. Uh, they eat... Uh, they ate all of their eggs, the rest of the eggs, before we even knew they were there. Uh, that Monday morning, they weren't off their feed, they were just full. Um, it's a grim grim reality, but uh, this little one managed to evade detection. Likely, he was hiding in the breeding brush, uh, where they couldn't get to him, and uh, he managed to make it out alive and well. Uh, this is what he looks like... Uh, More recently, he's three months old now as of yesterday. And we're running a naming poll for him over on our social media channels, Uh, should be up soon. And I'm also going to share that's the Google form. I hope Steve can uh, put that in the chat for me. Um, And if you care to weigh in on what you think his name should be, feel free to head over and complete the form and let us know. Um, So now that we knew that the cues work, that we had them right. we just needed to be more careful for checking for eggs. We picked out two new parents, and as I mentioned that was School and Vision, uh, shown above. Normally for koi breeding you are breeding for ornamental markets. You want fish that look perfect as parents to make perfect looking babies, uh, but for us look is not really the most important attribute. Don't get me wrong, both School and Vision have very lovely fins. Uh, they have really interesting scale and color patterns. But mostly they were chosen based on their temperaments. Uh, they're very easy going. They both prefer the top of the water column, which makes them very, very easy to monitor in terms of health status. Uh, they both recover very quickly from stress. If a staff member hits the side of the tank, for example, the whole tank, all the fish will dive down to the bottom, start doing the normal stress responses, uh, and creamsicle and vision are usually among the first to return to normal behavior and feeding after something like that happens. Uh, Creamsicle had the right shape for a koi with eggs. It's slightly sym- asymmetrical larger abdomen uh, and vision was about 70% her size which means she's less likely to get injured during breeding behavior. So we put them in the tank on a Thursday morning. By Friday there's plenty of chasing and splashing and Sunday morning I came in to find a whole bunch of eggs. Uh, very exciting. Uh, so koi are very messy spawners Uh, We had breeding brushes in there which are specifically designed to catch the eggs, uh, but there were eggs on the walls, on the airlines, on the air stone, on the the aquarium heater we have in there, all over the walls. Um, Despite the volume of eggs released, I wasn't actually sure at first that they had spawned because these eggs are basically clear and they are very hard to see underwater. Um, Lifting things out of the water like the the air stone or the breeding brush there does make the eggs a lot easier to see. Um, This little orange picture here is from a microscope. Um, The egg on the left wasn't fertilized, the egg on the right was. Uh, You can see the two black dots They are the koi eyes. Um, And those are actually very easy to see. You can tell uh, at this point, this is two days uh, post fertilization, you can tell with the naked eye, whether or not an egg is fertilized. Um, Koi are very much our strategists when it comes to reproduction. They make a lot of offspring and provide no parental care, quite the opposite as we saw with our first baby. Um, Fully mature koi can produce 50 to 100,000 eggs per kilogram of body weight per spawning. So the fact that we had only one in 10 or one in 20 eggs that fertilized was not, not a problem. So hopefully this plays okay. Let me know if it doesn't. This, uh, so what I did was I cut one of the strands off the breeding brush that had a viable egg on it. I put it in a little Petri dish with water from the tank. And this is by far the coolest thing I have ever recorded. Let me know if it, yeah, does it working?
0: Yeah, it's working great.
1: Perfect. So the, the circular structure you can see there on the belly is the yolk sac. Uh, they'll feed off that for a few days, um, and then you can see see the little guy's tail uh, and the eyes really, really good in this video. Um, so this is p- two days after, after spawning, um, and we also saw a really big ammonia spike to, at, at this point. Um, any of the, the unfertilized eggs started to break down and they were releasing a bunch of ammonia. And this was in a very well-established, very mature mini recirculating system. At one point, it was supporting 15 kilograms of fish with absolutely no ammonia issues. So if you are looking to breed or if your koi spawn, this is something to keep an eye out for. Uh, and you've got to be really careful when they're eggs or when they're really small like this because sudden temperature changes can, can be really detrimental to them. So you got to do a nice, I I basically spent the whole day doing a water, a very slow motion water change just to get the ammonia back down. Um, So the very next day, uh, so this is three days post-spawn, the eggs started to hatch. Uh, We kept most of them in place in the reading tank, but a few were moved into this little hatching vessel. uh, The video shows one freshly hatched. Uh, baby clinging to the wall and the other one swimming around the arrows kind of show you there at the start at least. Um, Hopefully it'll let me move through. There we go. Uh, And so for the next few days after hatching, they primarily feed off their yolk sac and they'll sit on the substrate Um, Occasionally, they will dart out into the tank water. Uh, They can't swim continuously at this point. Um, It's mostly just sudden sudden jerking movements. And at this point, we realized we had uh, way more koi than we thought we did initially. Uh, It's hard to tell with uh, the eggs being so difficult to see, Uh, but they all did congregate on the the two breeding brushes we had in there uh, as a place to sit. So after this stage, Um, they start to freely swim and they need to make it up to the surface in order to fill up their swim bladders and then they can start feeding. So it's good to have the water level a little lower so they have less of a distance to travel to make it to the surface. Um, And at this stage they are nearly completely see-through. You can see their swim bladders, you can see individual uh, artemia in their digestive tracts and we did start them off uh, on uh, live artemia as a feed. This just shows them starting to, you know, be neutrally buoyant buoyant, um, and move around their environment. And this is four to six days uh, after hatching. So 10 days since, less than 10 days since spawning. They're already at this stage, they're already eating. Um, We started powdered feed, just a powdered commercial diet. Uh, We offering that about when they are about 10 days old. Um, they were primarily on the Artemia and we're slowly transitioning them off that. They're two months old now and they're starting to get a little bit too big for the Artemia. It's uh, the kind of the size of them, uh, the Artemia doesn't make it necessarily 100% worthwhile. Uh, these guys were, this is them at six weeks and they had just gotten an Artemia feed. So you can see them darting around trying to, uh, to catch as much as they can. Uh, the coloring, uh, different color patterns have started to show up at this point um, and we're going to be transitioning them to uh, really small feed pellets just as soon as their mouths are big enough. So just for a timeline because um, this this happened it seemed like lightning speed to us. So the koi spawned on a Friday uh, on the Sunday, two days later we had a pneumonia spike. They were hatching by Monday. They were feeding by Thursday. Uh, and then we started powdered food about 10 days after hatching, and by the end of the month, they were showing color patterns. Uh, just to give you some context, if you were dealing with a salmon or trout, uh, and they spawned on the first of the month, the end of the month, they're still eggs. Um, so this is, it is very lightning speed. If you're going to be dealing with uh, koi, especially indoors and not a pond system, make sure you have your, you know, artemia ready because it all happens happens very, very quickly. So to switch gears, I'm going to talk about uh, our R&D. We have a lot of research interests as a company. A few for the production side are listed right here. Uh, I'm going to go uh, to just, dis- I'm going to discuss uh, one of our initial trials looking at koi growth and welfare. Um, and then I'm going to transition to some of our early cannabis R&D. I'll stop talking about koi, I promise. Um, and then... Uh, Looking at uh, cannabis growth and quality optimization, are really early trials. And then I'm going to discuss a little bit about uh, using aerobically digested fish waste and how it works as a cannabis fertilizer. So this was our basically our first study that we did, a uh, flashback in time, about two and a half years ago. It's early 2019. We have had koi in the system for just a few months. Uh, we graded them in, when they went in. So one tank had fish that were under 50 grams, one tank had fish that were 50 to 100 grams, one tank had fish that were 100 to 130 grams, and so on. Uh, keeping our large fish with our large fish, our mediums with our mediums, and our smalls with our smalls. Uh, just to improve overall welfare, and Hoover was the first to stand out. Uh, She was on the larger end of her tank's weight range when she went in, but about two months later she's almost double the size of everyone else in her tank, and we are pretty sure this has something to do with how she got her name. She is a big fan of food, she's always first to the table, and she hoovers up as much as she can get. She's not aggressive, but because she's a little bit heavier she can just kind of push everybody else out of the way and eat as much as she wants. Um, After we take note of Hoover, Uh, we start to look around at the other tanks and we we notice the same size disparity seems to be developing there too. Some fish are growing really great, really fast, and some are just staying small. So for this study we set out to do three three things really. We wanted to verify what we've observed, that there are a few fish in each tank who are massively outgrowing everyone else. Uh, We wanted to figure out how quickly this happens so we could get an idea of how quickly, how frequently we should be grading uh, tanks. And we wanted to establish FCR and FCRs and growth rates in our system. So we could begin projecting out our feed requirements, how long until we reach system capacity, how many nutrients we could expect to generate on what timeline, um, and that would dictate kind of our commercial rollout. So I had just finished an MSc in sustainable aquaculture at the University of Sterling, and this seemed like a perfect MSc project. So I wrote, reached out to the program director, and we set out Uh, set up a project with one of their students and just shout out to Joe Baker who came over to the from the UK for three months to weigh fish and test water and he did a he did a really great job with this. So we'll start out with our FCR results for anybody who doesn't know feed. FCR means it stands for feed conversion ratio and it's the amount of feed you need to grow one kilogram of fish or one pound of fish. So if your average FCR for all tanks was 3.3 plus minus 0.5 that means on average it took us 3.3 kilograms of fish feed to grow one, point, er, one kilogram of fish. Uh, so these are similar findings to reported what's reported in literature for common carp and koi and aquaponics. Those uh, ratios range from 1.7 up to 6. Uh, but this FCR is much higher than you'd want for a food fish like your salmon or your tilapia, where generally you're aiming for the lowest possible number closest to one uh, you can get. So one kilogram of feed gains you one kilogram of fish. Uh, but when growing ornamental fish in a high value crop like cannabis, a higher FCR isn't really a huge issue for us. We're more interested in the nutrient generation uh, that's coming out of the system so we can grow, uh, we can optimize our cannabis growth. So these FCR values have been great. They've surfaced really well. Uh, we use them to predict growth rates uh, based on feeding rates. We predict to predict how much food we'll need to order um, we've been using them in our growth models for the past two years, and when we weigh and grade a tank and compare it to our model, we're usually within 5 to 10 grams of the average fish weight, which is great, uh, a great tool for us. Um, as part of the study, we individually weighed every one of our fish three times. Uh, so uh, the first few graphs I'm going to show you are stacked population histograms with size ranges on the bottom axis and the number of individual fish in that size range on the vertical axis. So I have one slide for each tank. Uh, The top graph is the freshly graded tank at the start of the experiment, the middle graph is the second weigh event after 36 days, and the bottom graph is the final weighing event after 66 days. So uh, these are the results from cohort one, which had our very small cohort of fish. Uh, they started with a mean weight of 38 grams, and after 66 days they had a mean weight of 62 grams, so on average that's a 63% increase, which is great. But at the bottom of the distribution on the left side of the graph, we see a few fish who barely gained any weight at all, and at the top of the distribution we see two fish who have doubled and one fish that has tripled in weight, uh, indicated by the black arrows. Uh, Our largest cohort by far was the small cohort of fish that had 453 fish uh, between 48 and 110 grams, and they were split between two tanks. And again, uh, we see three fish in each tank at the uh, right end of the distributions, outgrow the rest of the population, shown with the black arrows. Uh, One almost tripled in size, going from 110 grams up to 300 grams. And meanwhile, at the left end of the graphs, the bottom of our population distribution, we're seeing very little to no growth. And the medium, small cohort was our tightest cohort to start. At the start of the trial, the difference in weight between the largest fish going into the tank and the smallest fish going into the tank was only 28 grams. After two months, the largest fish is 260 grams bigger than the smallest fish. And we, again, we saw a similar trend in our medium cohort and a similar trend in our medium-large cohort. There were uh, three fish that just outgrew everyone, uh, all the rest of the, the fish in that tank. Uh, and so the question is, what do these results mean and why do they matter? So shoot carp, which is also called toby koi, is a term used for individual carp within a population that grow much faster than the others, despite being grown in the same conditions. And a series of studies in the 1950s by Nakamura et al found that shoot carp appear in larval and juvenile populations of koi primarily as a result of food competition. these studies also found that removing shoot carp from a population was quickly followed by the appearance of new shoot carp from within the remaining population, which is what we saw. We graded the tanks to get rid of all the, the uh, you know the size disparity, and within a few months it had reappeared. Uh, in juvenile and larval populations, shoot carp are associated with increases in mortality and cannibalism, uh, which is why. As you can see in this picture here, our our new babies, that we are grading them quite frequently, looking for any that are much larger than the rest or showing signs of aggression and they get moved into their own tank. Um, But cannibalism and aggression in koi really stops being an issue as they get bigger. So the question becomes, what is the impact of having a few fish that grow really well and a few fish who grow really poorly in the same tank and what does that mean for fish welfare? And the literature in this area is pretty limited and confusing. and conflicting. The impact of having larger individuals in a cohort on the growth and welfare of the smaller fish seems to be both species dependent and dependent on how big the difference is. There's no real literature on the, the impacts of size disparity on adult koi specifically, so the impacts uh, and effects are unknown, they sh- but they should be studied. Uh, What we do know is that the smaller fish in our cohorts weren't growing very well, which means they likely weren't eating very well and fish that don't eat or can't eat uh, can easily become sick and if they get sick they can get the rest of your fish sick. So at the same time you need to consider the fact that weighing grading your fish all the time can be really stressful to them, it can lead to injuries uh, and it can also lead to immune suppression and that can also cause disease in your population. So it is a balancing act uh, between you know, the two types of stress that you're going to cause here. Uh, and based on this study, we decided that we would grade our fish about twice yearly. So once every six months, um, six to eight months, and we'd observe the tanks in between. And if we saw a really extreme outlier uh, who is getting really, really big, or if we see someone who's really small and needs, uh, needs some extra help, we would move them up or down to grade as needed. And I promise that's it, I'm done talking about koi. Let's talk about some of our cannabis R&D. So this was our really, really early R&D and mostly we were looking to do some proof of concept tests. Uh, So we ran side by side trials comparing the cannabinoids and terpenes and yields of organic living just add water super soil irrigated with either aquaponics or irrigated with aquaponics water from a RAS system or irrigated with municipal water. Um, So one table got RAS, one table got municipal. They were in the same room under the same conditions. Um, And we saw that the aquaponics uh, plants did better for everything. Um, THC content increased from four to 20%. Terpene expression increased around 15% uh, and yield increased from 20 to 40%. And at this point, Our system was not yet mature, Um, so we've seen these uh, general trends continue to increase as our system matures and our microbial life becomes more stable and uh, the nutrients become more concentrated. Uh, And these trials were really important for us in guiding how to scale up our aquaponics production and really just justifying the extra time and expense and complexity that you get that's associated with running a whole indoor recirculating aquaculture system alongside a commercial cannabis operation. Uh, one thing we've been looking at quite closely uh, is how to best utilize our solid waste, Both uh, we primarily to, to reduce our environmental footprint, uh, both by increasing the nutrient use efficiency of our aquaponic system, but also reducing the need for any commercial fertilizers uh, and Their associated footprint. Uh, So I'm going to go through two trials. The first was looking at how our aerobically digested nutrient supplement, which I'll refer to as Digestate, compared to two commercial organic certified fertilizers and uh, a no fertilizer control. So uh, we had 48 plants total, 12 for each fertilizer uh, regime and 12 for the control, and we arranged them in what's called a randomized block design. At the end of the trial, the plants were individually harvested and graded and weighed, and we used a GEMICERT tester to test the THC for each of the fertilizer conditions of each of the sizes, and as well as for the control. And we used um, kind of a a plant-based fertilizer and a fish uh, hydrolysate-based fertilizer, both of them organically certified. Uh, So we... We checked, uh, we monitored growth rates, uh, stem diameter and height, uh, and there were no real significant differences uh, in this over the course of the trial. Um, You see uh, that the growth rates really leveled off after week six, which is what we generally see with a lot of uh, cultivars. Um, If we look at the plant height, uh, again, no real differences. Maybe the municipal is a little bit shorter. but uh, overall, the they grew quite similarly in, in those uh, metrics, and they just, the growth rate completely leveled off at week six when the plant kind of switched its metabolism or its focus from growing higher, taller, uh, to really putting some weight into those flowers. Uh, and this is our dry yield results. Um, uh, we had... Uh, improvement from adding fertilizer, and you can see the digestate landed right between our two um, our two commercial uh, options. Uh, the error bars are uh, plus minus standard error, and it's just the average for the twelve plants of uh, bud yield per plant that I'm showing here. This was this was really great um, to see that our our the f- the supplement that we're making in house could match what we can get commercially. Um, We looked at the grade data. Um, There wasn't too many huge differences. The the digestate and the fish hydrolysate had a few more uh, large buds compared to the vegan or the municipal water control. Um, The digestate and the municipal had a little bit more in terms of the small grade. They all had less than 1% shake. Which is just the teeny, teeny, tiny buds that fell through the uh, the grading bars and any kind of dislodged leaves. Uh, uh, the medium grade was by far the the majority of uh, the the biomass, and the digestate again was a little was a little bit lower, uh, not si- statistically significant, uh, just because it had slightly more large and slightly more small uh, buds in the in the mix. Uh, we tested THC for the large, medium, and small grades uh, for all of the uh, fertilizer conditions and the control. Uh, generally, they all came back between 22 and 25. There is a slight trend here that the medium and large have a little bit higher THC than the small, which is something that has shown up in the literature before. Um, but based on this, the digestate um Supplementation produced similar THC concentrations to the uh, the commercial options, and there was no uh, significant decline f- compared to just the do nothing municipal control. Uh, one thing that we did uh, for this trial, which is fairly easy to set up, uh, is called a triangle test for sensory comparison. And so what you do is you have stations and each station has three containers and then you assign the three containers a randomly generated three-digit code. Uh, Two of the buds at your station are from the same nutrient regime and one of them is from a different regime or is from the control. Um, And then we ask uh, a bunch of our staff to go through a series of samples and write down the number of the sample they thought smelled differently from the others. So basically this is a test of can you pick out the one that's different um and everybody has a one in three chance of just guessing right uh so you take that one in three chance and you take uh the responses from all your participants and you do some statistics on it and you can say if uh if people could choose pick out the the one that is different with any uh statistical significance and what we found was that uh, no one, we weren't able to determine a sensory difference from based on smell uh, between any of the nutrient regimes or the municipal control. Which is, I, I honestly, I would have been happier if they were said, "Oh no, the digestate's way better." But this is also a really good result of using this doesn't uh, impact quality in a way that can be detectable by the people interacting with the product, which is also a really good result to get. Um, so from these, the series of tests, we determined that the nutrient supplement, uh, that we can make from our fish solid waste does perform similarly to commercially available options in terms of increasing yields. And it doesn't have any negative results in terms of cannabinoid content or sensory attributes. So because of that, we decided to do a second test. And this was, the previous test was on a high THC cultivar. We decided to do this test on a high CBD cultivar. And what we wanted to know was what the optimal dosing for this digestate was. So we had 40 plants, and they were supplemented, uh, 20 that were supplemented primarily to the top of the root zone and 20 that were uh, dosed through the bottom of the root zone. Uh, And we had some plants only receiving RAS water from our commercial system as the control. And then the remaining plants received either a low, medium, or high dose of the digestate. And we did another randomized complete uh, or complete randomized block design and the plants were individually harvested and weighed. So this is just uh, worth noting that, uh, the way we ran these trials is not the same way as we run our commercial cultivation. Um, the plants were all hand irrigated and hand dosed by Ron. Thanks, Ron. Did a great job. Uh, and, uh, just the, due the nature of the completely randomized block design, it is hard to set up automatic irrigation like you'd see in a, a commercial setup uh and we saw similar heights regardless of dosing rates um but we did see a significant difference uh based on whether they were receiving that dose to the top of the root zone or the bottom of the root zone um as a cbd strain this this uh plant was much shorter compared to the one previously the average uh height at the end i think for that one was about 28 to 30 inches and none of these plants uh, got higher than 20 inches um, and so uh, the yield per plant was actually quite similar to the the, the other uh, cultivar, which was much larger plant, which is always great a great thing about CBD strains. Um, so for this cultivar, the bottom irrigated uh, supplemental dosing uh, had higher yields. Uh, it does appear to have a nice peak there at the medium dosing rate, uh, And this, you might say you see a similar thing in the the top bottom or the top irrigated or top dose plants, but it's much less pronounced. Um, And I will add another caveat here that this is very cultivar specific. Uh, We've seen some cultivars that do way better yields when they're top irrigated, top dosed, some that do better with bottom dosing, it is completely, uh, and some that have, it has no impact. So it is very cultivar specific. if you're looking to take something away from this talk. Um, We also looked at the CBD again with the Gem Um, We had pretty similar CBD content, no real statistically significant differences. Uh, Potentially the bottom was trending higher, um, but we didn't see a real difference until we got to the really high dosing rate. Uh, I don't know the exact cause for the drop-off in CBD, but if you asked me to make my best guess, I would probably say that it was likely due to too many nutrients, too high of a uh, nutrient concentration in the root zone that interrupted normal metabolism. But that was one of the points of this trial as we wanted to identify the ceiling for, uh, for adding this digestate. Um, and again, this response is very cultivar specific. We've seen the opposite of this in terms of uh, dosing strategy and cannabinoid content. And we've also seen plants that it has no impact on. So I still have a little bit of time, so I'm going to plug our products. Um, so Aqualetus sells dried flower, pre-rolls, vapes, rosin oils, and gummies. Um, we have an extensive genetic library. Uh, we do a lot of internal pheno hunting in-house just to find which cultivars work great with our aquaponics platform. Uh, we have CB on- CBD-only cultivars, uh, balanced cultivars, and mid to ultra-high th sea flower varieties. Our products are available in all Canadian provinces, um, with the exception of Manitoba. Uh, and I believe Quebec might not be on currently, but is hopefully soon to be. Uh, we also sell directly to medical patients using our uh, online platform. Um, we also, our product is available through the Canna Farms medical platform and medical cannabis by shoppers. You can find us on Twitter and LinkedIn and at uh, uh, Aqualetus.ca for the medical side, ReefOrganic.com or CurrentCannabis.ca for the recreational side. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as LinkedIn. Uh, there's that form again, if you want to vote on a name for the, the little one who, who made it through. Um, and if you have any questions about becoming a medical patient, our client care team is excellent. Um, they can help you with anything you need. Uh, we also have some more videos uh, and content about our system up on our websites uh, if you want to learn more about Aqualitis. Uh And oh, I f- forgot to mention um, on the products page, if you're in Canada, especially if you're in Atlanta, Canada, and you want to buy several hundred koi, we may be able to help you out. Um, that's my email right there for contact information. And thank you for listening to my talk and for inviting me to talk here at the conference. It's wonderful. And does anybody have any questions?
0: All right, yes, that was an awesome presentation. Uh, I don't think a lot of people have seen that level of uh, a breakdown for, for cannabis. Uh, certainly uh, not a lot of people uh, that, that just follow uh, YouTube and Instagram. So I think that was super, super great. And also nice to see some such a focus on the fish as well. We haven't had a lot of great fish presenters yet. And that was a really great uh, uh, breakdown on those as well.
1: well. I'm I'm more of a fish nerd than a plant nerd. So if bring on the fish questions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, what cultivars have you guys grown? Uh, is there any that maybe worked really well or didn't work really well?
1: Um, uh, currently, our, our workhorse is Ghost Train Haze. Um That's probably the uh, that was our first uh, big uh, recreational sale um, and it's a it's a really high it's a high THC um, uh, a cultivar it's uh, and so I don't know about the American market but for the Canadian market it seems to be mostly about THC at the moment so that's that's our our workhorse I really like Charlotte's Angel which is our CBD strain or one of our CBD strains it's uh, it's just a really nice looking plant and um, That's that's my own personal bias. We are we do do a lot of uh, phenot hunting as well, and we uh, so we have I don't know what the most recent number. I think it's over fifty cultivars uh, that we have in our library um, that we we make and we grow at different uh, different rates, and they all seem to like aquaponics quite a bit.
0: Nice. Um, they, uh, uh, another question is, What is? It, do you have any advice for people that are uh, using koi ponds uh, for their uh, summer grows or anything like that? Um,
1: I haven't, I've actually only ever grow, grown koi inside. I do know that uh, there are some diseases you need to worry about if you're outdoors. Uh, they are, they can get uh uh, um, skin flukes and gill flukes and whatnot um, and there's not really much of a way to uh, to treat that and uh, koi will also get sunburned if you're using a pond to make sure you have some shade um, they, can, they can get sunburned and they can get skin cancer. Um, and they live a long time, so they are prone to cancers uh, just because of their lifespan. So make sure if you're, you're going to put in a koi pond, make sure they have somewhere they can, uh, they can hide from the midday sun. Um, and they will eat anything and everything you give them. If it fits in their mouth, they will probably try and eat it. And I've seen a lot of uh, hand feeding and stuff, so they are really great pets, if you do want to have them in a pond, just get them used to you and they'll, they'll be very friendly.
0: Got another, <clears throat> another question about, um, have you fed your uh, fish any of the fan leaves? Uh, and then, you know, is there any, um, uh, they asked, is there testing on feeding the koi uh, leaves from the cannabis plants they have, some of the nutrients pulled from the soil, uh, would the koi have that in their waste as well?
1: Uh, so we haven't tried feeding them uh, fan leaves uh, or anything like that. They, um, I'm sure they would probably probably eat it. Um, the, it's just the uh, we don't know how it would work in terms of uh, you know fouling our system up or give us any issues with uh, with our solids filtration. Um, the the one thing to keep in mind about koi is they don't have stomachs. Um, they just have a really long digestive tract so that that makes it difficult for them to metabolize phosphorus um, and they can't really process any kind of plant derived phosphorus really at all so any of the, the phosphorus in your leaves is, it's generally bound up as uh, phytate um, and so that would just go straight through their digestive tract and into the solid waste which is why, I've, we focused a lot on our solids processing and, and getting a good nutrient supplement out of that. Cause we know a lot of our phosphorus does end up in the solid waste. Um, but uh, I, I would love to do that in a research scale, but I don't know if uh, if it's feasible. I do know um, we are loosely associated with a, a project that's looking at uh, taking cannabis processing waste, hemp fiber, and, and, uh, dissolving it down into a nutrient supplement for fish feed but I believe that's going into salmon feed not koi feed but if they uh if that proves to work out maybe I'll try and get a, a sample of it and see if uh, we can can work that into our fish food because that would be really neat
0: uh, someone else asked um can you keep turtles with koi
1: uh depends on the size of your koi and the size of your turtles um I do know that turtles will eat baby fish, and I wouldn't put it past a very large koi to try and eat a baby turtle. Um, I don't think it would go very well for either of them, but I wouldn't be surprised if they tried. Um, The uh, baby koi, everything eats baby koi. Um, There are insects that are predators of baby koi, so you do got to be careful with the really little ones. And they're easy to see for predatory birds as well. Um, just because they're brightly colored, so uh, that is something to to keep in mind if you're growing them outdoors.
0: Uh, we had another question: um, Why breed fish? Is there a, a, a does that play a role in your nutrient rates, or are you optimizing the fish at all for the system?
1: Uh, so, as the koi get older, they are unfortunately prone to gonad cancers. So we do lose fish uh, every once in a while, and we knew that eventually we would have to. Uh, restock, um, and we were concerned because we don't have any disease issues in the system right now that if we brought in fish from off-site, uh, even if we quarantined them and got them fully tested, we were worried that something could get into our system, and then because it's aquaponics, it's really difficult to treat uh, if they got any any diseases. So we breeding the fish for us was uh, kind of an investment in biosecurity of we'll know if we need to replace any, we'll know that the ones we're replacing with the, them with are disease-free. It also means that we can uh, establish a backup population off-site in the case of any kind of catastrophic system failures, um, and we'll be able to get in disease-free koi to restock uh, in the event of something like that happening. Um, and yeah, it, there's always a chance, you know, that the one of those koi is the, the $1.7 million fish. Um, very unlikely but uh, if we can find an extra revenue stream from selling them that would be wonderful but that wasn't wasn't the primary intent for sure.
0: Another person asks have you tried any other fish species aside from koi or is that the only one that you guys have worked with so far? Uh,
1: that's the only one we've worked with so far. Our license does allow us to have tilapia um, if we want to, but uh, we've, we've just had koi from day one. Uh,
0: another question they asked about what type of soil mix you use?
1: Uh, so we use a just add water super soil that's made in uh, Nova Scotia primarily. Uh, it's called kryptonite um, and Neil's a great guy. He, uh, he has helped us with the kind of honing a recipe. Um, and, uh, we, we add more than just water. We add aquaponics water, but it works really well, uh, with our, our grow system.
0: Awesome. Uh, let me see here. Is there any others? Is there any other, um, uh, you know, uh, tests or is there anything that you're, maybe you're testing that maybe you'll have data with, uh, for in the future that you want to talk about?
1: Uh, We are looking at different fish feeds um, and the impact on the nutrient uh, nutrient production and growth rates. Hopefully, I'll have something for you. That's that's one of the main focuses of my PhD. So maybe I'll have a good talk for you next year on that. Um, The we're always trying out different um, different soil recipes, different uh, grow mediums, different irrigation strategies, um, and it's it's always it's always about continuous improvement you know what because even a five a percent increase in a, in a crop like cannabis where it shuts which with such a high value is is worth it uh worth it to put the time in so we my my focus primarily is on um the fish and the cultivation practices and optimizing yields and potencies, but we also have a whole other R&D division that works on um, our product, different products, uh, increasing bioavailability of, uh, you know, the active ingredients in our in our edibles, um, and they do a lot of really neat work that I don't fully understand, but that sounds really cool, but I can't speak to that. I'm the fish nerd, so...
0: that's awesome yeah it sounds like you guys have quite the team up there Uh, i'll definitely have to try and bop by when i get up across the border once all of this uh, craziness slows down
1: yeah no it's uh it's certainly and and sorry i forgot to mention that was another driver for our breeding program was uh covid uh there are very few koi suppliers um very few disease-free guaranteed koi suppliers in canada and the ones in the states wouldn't ship to us uh, because the border delays were meaning that every time they tried to ship to Canada all their fish were dying in transit so we couldn't we couldn't get in new fish from anywhere else uh, was another reason to uh, to bring the breeding in-house.
0: Yeah I know I've definitely heard some horror stories about uh, stuff getting shipped around and that certainly allowed for some new opportunities for aquaponic producers to sell both fish and plants. I know uh, a lot of lettuce facilities as well have been switching to cut plants and house plants and things because they can clone them and it's better production. <laughs> yeah. So, well, thank you so much for that wonderful presentation. Um, uh, do you want to tell everybody one last time uh, uh, how to find yourself and uh, and your uh, your company?
1: Sure. Uh, we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, uh, at Aqualetus Inc., at Reef Organic, at Current Cannabis. Uh, You can help us name a baby by clicking on the Google Forms link that hopefully Steve has put in the chat. I don't know. I can't see the chat. Um, And uh, I can be contacted by email here. And if you reach out to our client care team, if you're interested in becoming a medical patient, they can help you out. And thank you for your time. And thanks for having me. This This was a lot of fun.